welcome in everyone. We're here for another installment of educational leadership and I'm pumped today because we have Dr. Nicole Wesley with us. On a very busy Monday morning, she has taken some time for us and uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure it's because, you know, she thinks the world of me. So uh, that is true. That is true, Dr. Dell. You are definitely on one of my top list of favorite people for sure. <laughs> Thanks for playing along anyway. Yes, of course. All right. Well, Dr. Wesley is the superintendent of Redondo Beach Unified School District in Redondo Beach, California. And our connection is we were assistant principals together when we were young. Well, you you still look exactly the same. How is that? Oh, well, thank you. Oh, no, I really like you. That was like 20 years ago. How? Yeah. Like, it was I'm actually serious. 20 years ago. Like it was 20 years ago. It was 20 years ago. And you're you're a vampire because you look, you haven't aged. And I don't, I don't know. I don't want to talk about that because it's just depressing. <laughs> but uh, we, we were assistant. Call hair guy. Call hair guy. Oh, <laughs> for a second. Uh, we were assistant principals together. We more or less shared an office, right? We, we had a door. We did, we did share an office. We had a joint door so I could hear everything that was going on in your office and vice versa. I learned a lot from you. I learned as the jazz got louder during the day, I just left you alone. That was, don't bother Nikki. The music, <laughs> I'm hearing more Coltrane, less oh. Nikki for me. <laughs> That's true. Coltrane kept me sane. Still does. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we did three years together. And I, Very and I gotta say, you know, those working with you those three years uh got me through those three years. Those were three hard years for me in my career. And uh you were the bright spot, the sunshine in that three years. And I think that's just a testament to who you are as a, a teammate, right? You're a wonderful leader. Uh, but as a teammate, you made those years for me doable. And so uh, I've always uh, thought of you in high regard in that matter. So after Redondo, we were at Redondo High School together as APs, and then you went to uh, Adams as a principal. Yes, correct. And then you went back to Redondo as the principal. Correct, yes. And when you went back, I was then the principal at Miracosta. Yes, the rival. Friendly rivals, friendly yes, rivals. Yes, yes, yes. Right, because we we also have Loyola in our world. And yes, that's true. That's true. Those are not friendly. Yeah, <laughs> we kept it friendly because of our friendship. But yes. Yeah, and yeah. then you went to the district office, and uh, you were. I was a director of student services for a few years. That's right, I was going to miss that, and then you were assistant yeah. super of HR. And then assistant super of HR, yes. And now you're the superintendent, and yeah, you're I'm in your third year. I just finished my first year. I started January 1 of last year. Yeah. Feels like I've done 10 though. Hmm. I, I totally would have believed this is your third year. Okay. Oh my gosh. No, I've got more years to go, but it's been a great first year. I've gotten a lot accomplished, learning a lot, um, and I'm excited about what's to come. So the topic that leads perfectly into the topic of, of visionary leadership, because your comment, you know, in just the year that you've been a superintendent, you've been able to get a lot done you wanted to do. Correct. And so when we talk about visionary leadership, I want to key on that phrase. 
I got a lot done that I wanted to do. A, how did you know that needed to be done? And B, you know, Correct. but I, I think it was spontaneous. But in the text I sent you, I said to a lot of people, describing visionary leadership is like describing what yellow tastes like. Yeah, exactly. That's that's the example I wanted to give. Yes. Because I want to say when it comes to visionary leadership, either you have it or you don't. Correct. But we're all expected to have it. Correct. So if you're sitting around and you're like, you know what? I'm a great manager. I can manage people. I can manage the site. I can keep the lights on. I can keep the, you know, the cafeteria running, the school safe. I have no idea where this school should go. Right. In other words, you're struggling with your vision. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. What do you do? What do you do? Well, uh, I could pick it up from there because I supervise principals and directors. And in our district, we believe in autonomy. And so I need the leaders of these schools and departments to really own their school and their department and determine and figure out where are we going to take the school and department next? How are we going to get there? What are the needs? I can't uh, micromanage that from my office. I wouldn't be an effective leader if I did. But what I do do is I ask a lot of questions and I help provide um, maybe some guardrails, but also a, a vision for the district because we need to also have alignment. So I want to start by just sharing um, a book, a children's book that a colleague shared with me, and um, and I can send you a screenshot of it. But the book is called If by Sarah Perry. And the book, If, again, a children's book, but I think it's meant for adults, talks about what you talked about, which is what if you could taste the color yellow? Uh, what if turtles could talk? You know, um, what if butterflies um, could sing to you at night before you went to bed? Or what if you could hold music? I think we first have to start by thinking beyond these confines that we create for ourselves, And oftentimes we educate as we were educated. And so I like to really push the envelope by asking, well, what if we could? I, I also believe in a yes default. Well, why not? Let's try. Um, so I think it's just really helping leaders understand the qualities that we need to have in order to enact our, our vision. Um, I think the other really important thing is to think about the future more than we think about the present. So we've all heard this before, but how are we preparing, preparing, preparing students for future careers? I mean, the world is evolving so quickly with AI, with computer science, with technology, you know, space, space wars, information, um, et cetera. And so how do we prepare students for that? Are we preparing students for that? That's when I like to go to teachers and departments and principals and say, you know, what? what really are we teaching in our math classes? What are we really teaching in our English classes? And how do we reframe these courses and make them more integrated? So while we still have the concepts and we still have the standards, we could do it through another lens, maybe a lens of music or maybe a lens of digital media, you know, historical lens, et cetera. Whatever it is, that's where the concepts and the interests combine. So to really wrap this up, I think it's really important to know what the needs are and then for, for what I did is one of the first things I did is I created a strategic plan. And that allowed me to really hear the voices of our stakeholders, to analyze data very thoroughly, as you shared 
how do you know what you need? Well, I'm looking at data. I'm looking at various forms of data from test scores to our California Healthy Kids Survey to our panorama data, which is measures social, emotional, sense of belonging, and then sending out surveys. And I'm really happy to share that the number one respondent for our survey was our students. They're the most important voice and a, a voice that we often leave out. As a part of my goals, I create a student advisory council that I meet with and I ask them, hey, what do we need to work on? What are things we want to change? Of course, the number one thing they wanted to work on was improve the food, which we did. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, it's like, yeah. okay, we want to improve their experience. Let's improve the food. I brought in the director of the child nutrition services. She explained the laws. We tried sampled foods. You know, we start off this new year with with different foods. And so they could see the power of, of their voices. And we have to provide them the opportunity for that. But going back to strategic plan is after four months of surveys, analyzing data, community workshops, listening, really understanding. Now, I worked in this district since 2004, almost 20 years. So it feels as though I know what we need, but I, I'm in it. I want to hear from those that aren't in it day to day. What are their perceptions? What are their thoughts? What are their desires? And so using a third party to help us come in so we could objectively analyze this information, working with our board, of course, I, I answered to five board members, making sure that their goals and their, their understanding of what we need is aligned and prioritizing all the information we received with the board, we came up with a strategic plan <clears throat> that has five goals. And while the strategic plan is a little more of the nuts and bolts, bolts the vision is where do we want our kids to go? What do we want from all of this? What are the outcomes we're looking for? Let's think big. You know, I, I like to think about all the ways in which we can provide opportunities and courses for our students that are beyond what we're doing now, including the gaming industry as an example, right? Why don't we have game design or animation? This is a huge industry. It, well, I was told that it makes more than the, uh, the movie industry. And whether it does or it doesn't, there's definitely a lot of careers related to the game industry, even if you're not a coder. So next year, I'm excited that we're going to start a, a game design class because, again, that's going to allow students to apply knowledge that they have in a, in a fashion that's going to also allow them to think about future careers. And that's, I think, what vision is, is really just thinking outside of the box as much as possible. Wow, that's great. There's so much there that you just said, I want to just highlight a couple of things. The first thing I heard you say is, and I'm I'm saying this from the perspective of you and I, or let's take, let's just keep it the two of us. You're yeah. sitting down with me. You think I'll be a good principal, but maybe you're not seeing a visionary out of me. So I think what I heard first from you that I could do as I'm trying to become a visionary leader is ask a lot of questions. Correct ask it be curious yes i think the thing that you and i share as a characteristic is we're both very curious yes and even though you're really smart and i'm smart adjacent curiosity doesn't mean you're not smart curiosity and and asking questions is just a way to gather data about the organization you work with and you'll get a lot out of that i used to ask all the time I would ask parents or staff and even students, where do we want to be in five years? Right. Where, right. where what do we want to look like? And the question I always love to ask people is five years from now, 
when someone's walking down the street and they hear the words Redondo High School, what do we want them to think instantly? Correct. Drug school, gang school, no. Innovative, creative, cutting edge, prepping kids for the world, prepping kids for what's next, vibrant, inclusive culture. like, And you start to get all these things from people. And then you start going, your next point, let's think outside the box about that. Okay, so they want inclusive culture. Yes. So A, we need to figure out where we're at with that. Right. right? Where are we now? Right. And then where do we need to be? And then how do we get there? Right. And then the third thing you said that I think is really, really important and it really separates leaders. And I'm glad I'm recording this because I'm going to love your reaction when I say this. (laughs) I think when it comes to visionary implementation, there's two types of leaders. There's a leader that says, here's where we need to go. How do we get there? And then when that is vocalized, then they say, okay, let's go see if we can do that. The other leader says, where do we need to go? Let's see what we're allowed to do to get there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so nuanced. Right. So when you see the destination in your vision, what's your first thought? A, I'll do anything to get us there. Yes. Or B, what am I allowed to do to get us there? Right. I always say I like I live in the world of gray. So when someone says, well, you can't really do that. Well, why? Why Why can't we do that? And and how? I don't want to hear that we can't. I want to hear how how do we make that happen? And it starts with the will. And I like that you talked about um, curiosity. And so as a, a, as a leader of an organization, it's my job to ask a lot of questions, even when sometimes I, I feel like I know the answers, because I, I want to spark an understanding in the leaders of our schools here. And it's important that, again, they really see the vision. And so sometimes you have leaders who are very operational, uh, focused on management, checking the boxes. That's an important skill too. Things have to be done. They have to be done on time. That that can't drive what we do day to day. Otherwise, we're stagnant. We're just doing the same thing every day. And, and I asked a, a committee of math teachers recently because we're really looking at how it is we teach math and how can we change that? You know, we, we've been doing the same things year after year after year. And so there's really no, shouldn't be any surprise that our, our test scores, our outcomes really aren't changing. They're not improving at a rate that is significant. So let, let's just start all over again. Let's really think about how do we teach math in a way that excites kids, that engaged kids, that is applicable to their daily lives and their future lives. And sky's the limit, you know, in my mind, okay, there are some things we have to do. We have to teach to the standards, right? There's just systemics things that I would love to change, but I'm, I can't do that at, that at the time. Although, you know, I'm always reaching out to legislators about trying to change things, but in the I meantime, oh yeah, no, I've already connected Because let's really talk about, let's change the policies and the systems. But anyway, within, we have a lot of local control. And I think that's what sometimes people forget is that you you just change your board policy, just, or create a board policy or talk to your board, obviously, but let's create our own vision of what that looks like. We could call the class anything we want it. It could, it can entail what we want. We could, we could pick the curriculum that we want. There's obviously things that you have to do to make this happen and it's work to make it happen, but the rewards are going to be great. 
if you if we just stop for a moment and say, wait, this isn't working and how do we change it? But there's got to be a lot of voices in the room as well. Yeah, I want to come back to organized retreat in a second. But making a visionary change doesn't have to be some grand, you know, confetti and band playing kind of thing. No. And the thing I want to point out is, as an example, when you became principal of Redondo, you and I were talking on the phone and I was at Costa, two miles up the road. Right. This is this is like close cousins, right? And I'm up the road and you're just coming in. I mean, this is like August or September of your first year. And we were talking. And one of the things you said was, and I knew this from being a VP with you, we're going to stop making decisions based on you guys. Yeah. I do remember this conversation. Wow. Such a simple thing. But the culture of Redondo was, how will this decision affect our standing with Miracosta? Right. And you stopped that. Yeah. Comparing as a leader, I'm going to figure out what we're best at and we're going to keep doing that. And then I'm going to figure out where our niche is. What is something no one else is doing that we can do? Right. And create our own brand, maybe from that or something else. And I, and I, even on the phone, I sat there and I thought, God dang it, man, we should have been doing that when we were VPs there. Right. Right. And now you're back as a principal and you could do a little more, right? right. You can, you can uh, guide the conversation, but that little comment just, I mean, Redondo just took off. Right. And it wasn't about, and I, I remember, I don't remember what it was, the issue, but all of a sudden my board and, and superintendent are saying to me, hey, we better fix this at Costa so that we can be more. And I remember uh, being in a lot of meetings and I'd say, I don't want to hear about what Redondo's doing. I don't want to hear about, I don't, I wish I could remember what, as soon as we hang up, I'll remember what the issue was. But I remember that happened. And in my mind, of course, my thought was stinking Nikki, man. God dang it. <laughs> Well, the focus is on our students, right? And it's the same. I was in the same situation as you. It's always like, well, what's Costa doing? What's PV doing? What's? It's not as though we don't want to be aware of what we're doing. And what's great is that I'm connected to all the superintendents in these districts. You know, but it can't be the why, right? No, no, cannot it can be, be the what. It's supplementary. How? Yeah, but it can't be the why, right? You got to be you. And I thought it was so genius and so brilliant, and it really. That was a turning point for Redondo, who had been a school for over 100 years. Yeah. And, 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 and it turned and you guys became your own brand. And it was brilliant. And so I want to make sure students know it doesn't have to be some grandiose thing. It could be a little simple statement like that that could revolutionize a school. And how did you know to do that? Because you had vision for Redondo. And you said part of our problem is blank. And how do we change that? And you changed it. Now, let's say you propose a change because the leadership you're describing is high risk, high reward. That's true to some extent. Yes. Which I love, right? <laughs> I'm down. But what if you say, this is what we need to do. You start doing it. And at some point you figure out either quickly or at some point, this wasn't the right thing. Like where uh, do you want organized retreat? Do you just bail or do you back it out? <clears throat> systematically how do you do that 
So the first thing I, I want to say two things or make two points. Number one, when you're when you're an effective leader, you're also you also have a lot of humility and you have to know when to say, wow, I made a mistake or I got that wrong. Or as you said, let's stop at this point, despite our losses, because we're heading in the wrong direction. But even to back it up a little bit more, I, I don't believe in making decisions in isolation. Obviously, I have to make decisions in isolation at times right? Uh, at the moment in a crisis. Um, and when it, at the end of the day, after taking in the input, making the decision, owning it, being accountable for it, that's not a problem for me because I like to get input. So when you say, well, you know, I've made a decision, well, I, I've made a decision, but I have stakeholder input and I have a reason behind that decision. And I'm sharing that with, with everyone. It's important to be transparent about why it is we're moving in this direction. So let me give you an example. Sorry. Yeah. So one year at Costa, the, it's actually the science department came to me, but then the math department kind of joined in and they said, we want to open it up. So algebra two with trig, algebra two, a lot of schools call it algebra two honors. Correct. Algebra two with trig is open to freshmen. And I was like, okay. Like most schools are struggling with how to remediate algebra in the right. second semester. Right. If our biggest problem is we're not letting freshmen into Algebra 2 trig, I'll take that problem, right? right? So everyone was on me and some parents got involved. And so I said, okay. So following year, we actually, that was in the summer. So that year we started letting Algebra 2, a freshman into Algebra 2 a trig. And we had like, out of a class of like 700 freshmen, we had like 200 freshmen. Wow. That's a lot. It's a lot. And it wasn't right because freshman brains are not ready for that. They're just not. Yep. I was just going to ask what were the outcomes? No knock on 14 year olds, mm -hmm. but the science, their mm -hmm. brains are not ready. Denise Pope at Stanford. I mean, we had all mm -hmm. kinds of people telling mm -hmm. us, yo. So now the counselors are coming at me and they're going, man, we got kids down here, buckets full of tears. It's too much for them. They want out. Of course we were letting them out. Right. But right. parents weren't letting their kids get out. So we quickly realized by about October, uh-oh. Yeah. But I didn't want to have a culture that swung wildly. I didn't want a pendulum that just went like this. So I, I said to everybody, basically, all right, look, we're realizing this isn't right for freshmen. But we have sixth graders, seventh graders, and eighth graders at the middle school who are scheduling their math such that they can be in Algebra 2 trig as a freshman. If we just say, okay, this is the only year of it, we're going to have right. problems at the middle school. So right. what, I, what I ended up saying was that the current sixth graders would be allowed that, but starting in yeah. January when we were going to the elementaries, we were going to tell all the elementary kids we're backing away from that. Correct. Right. So would would in my in my shoes would you have just said this is the only year only or would you have had a more you know deliberate backing out of it to not I, I agree with the approach that you took because it doesn't mean that there still aren't some kids who may be ready for algebra two. Yeah. It's just taking a step back and saying, okay, we need to create some guardrails. We need to really understand what level of understanding of math, mastery of math is needed to be successful at this grade in this class. Also having an understanding, and this is where you have your teachers come in, that Algebra 2 really does align with chemistry uh, for a reason, using Algebra 2 in chemistry. And oftentimes you may not even be in that class, right? That's where your conceptual understanding is. So, Which is why we did it. Right. 
and I think it's just chemistry. explaining that like okay yeah. wait a minute this is something we didn't take into consideration um, and that's okay and still providing and remember kids are different and I think sometimes we create these policies we mean to be inclusive but really we are exclusive because we're not thinking of the the smaller population of kids who may benefit from these types of changes yeah. but also remembering that we need to have some guardrails up some policies some that will allow us to really put kids where they should be so uh we got about five minutes before you have to go and you told me before we started recording the uh, this uh leadership strategy or approach called buka you want to talk about that yeah, I learned about VUCA recently. You know, I sit um, on an advisory board for the Women's School Leadership Academy at UCLA, which I loved. It really helped me understand how leaders navigate our current realities, right? There's so many things that are coming at us externally, internally, issues, some of which we can control, can't control, right? We have an election coming up nationally that could be uh, create divisions, you know, you see these issues of book banning, parent no notification related to LGBTQ. There's a lot going on. And how do we keep focused on our vision and our direction and our strategic plan while this is happening? And so what I love about VUCA is it kind of helps you deal with the world. So for instance, VUCA on the one end stands for volatility, uncertainty, complexity, and ambiguity. But then how you survive the world with these issues using the same acronyms is instead of uh, focusing on the volatility of the situation is refocusing on the vision. OK, we understand we have these issues, but what is our vision to get past these issues? Stay focused on our vision. That's why it's important to have one. In this case, what do we want our graduation profile of our students to look like when they leave us? And then the U, uncertainty, let's reframe that to understanding, right? A lot of times people have anxiety and because it, there's an uncertainty, what's going to happen? So let's be, let's create understanding to the best of our ability. And that's, you do that through a lot of communication. I send out monthly messages, again, always going back to goal number three of our strategic plan is this, this is what we're doing. Re redirecting back to our plan, to our goals, so people understand why it is what we're doing and focusing on that and spending money on that. The C in VUCA, complexity, shifting that to, to uh, clarify. So issues can be complex, but really getting down to when talking to folks, what is it that you're concerned about? What is it that you're looking for? What is it that you want from this conversation or this debate or, or this issue? Being very clear about what the outcomes are that we're looking for. And, and, and it kind of just makes the complexity melt away. And then last uh, is amb ambiguity. And really understanding ambiguity through a different frame would be agility, right? So <laughs> since COVID, we've learned we have to be agile. We have to be able to pivot. We have to be flexible. Uh, we can't do this. Well, we've always done it this way. Well, we need to change how we do things. So, you know, VUCA, I think it's just, again, helping people see that we want to stay focused on our vision. We want to understand what the issues are, be clear about them, clarify the issue and what the outcomes are, and then be agile, be ready to pivot. And I think our future generations are are, are much better at agility than maybe folks like us um, who are so used to certainty, right? We're used to having one job our whole life or maybe two jobs our whole life, a paycheck every month. We're not comfortable with uncertainty, but yet our I think our future generations you see are, they, you know, they will have multiple jobs and they're okay with 
you know, taking time off and maybe not having a steady income or not quite quite sure what it is they want to do. And, and that's okay, but it's just really helping students figure out what that looks like, but staying focused on our goals, staying focused on our vision. Of, of course, having one first. It's harder to parent that kid than teach. Yeah, that's true. And I also think that's just really quick, uh, Ben, I, th- I think what's important is when I talk to uh, my principals about a decision, I ask them to think about if they have a child or a niece or a nephew or someone I, I, through that lens. Okay, I'm a parent in this district. My my child's in eighth grade here. And I think about, okay, my own child. And And I said that to a principal recently, what if that were your child? And she looked at me and said, okay, yeah, every kid is our child, right? It's so, it all of a sudden becomes so clear. What do you want for your child? I think about what do I want for my child when she leaves this district? I want her to be independent, living on her own, happy, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Career. And, and then remembering that we do have subgroups of students who aren't necessarily going to live that life, right? We have students with special needs. We have English language learners. We have we have students who need additional support. So never forgetting the individual individuality of our students as well. A buddy asked me, do you have a favorite kid? I go, yeah, the one that pays his own rent. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Nick, this was great. Ask questions. Think outside the box. Be willing to go for it and stay focused. That, that's the hardest part, man. You're trying to get something done and you've got a report the district needs. You got three parents who want to meet with you. You've got a coach that needs to be talked to. You've got volleyball today. You've got yes. to visit yeah. three teachers' classrooms. And wait a minute, what? We're trying to revolutionize math. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah, exactly. You've got to stay focused on that and be willing to delegate to your people a lot of the managerial things that are going to just absolutely up your time get out of the minutia um, as a leader you have to trust and depend on your team you have if to if you're filling in cells in a spreadsheet you're not focused on your vision correct correct somebody else can fill in the cells yes go back to improving reading and math right. Because I was that person filling in the sales a while ago. So I understand. But yes. Because you were the person supposed to be doing that, right? <laughs> right. Exactly. At the time. Right. As a, as right a now principal. I have a team. I have a great team. I depend on my team. And sometimes the team doesn't get it right. And we just say, okay, l- learn from it. Move on. We're human. We make it's mistakes. It. But let's learn from it. So fix it and move on and don't perseverate on it and mope around. Right. Like, just fix right. it. I, I was that way too. You know, you know, the yeah. people that worked with me and as they'd come in and they go, oh, and I go, okay, well, let's fix it and go back yeah. to work. Right, exactly. They go, what? I'm not in trouble? And I'm like, no, yeah. man, stuff happens. Yeah, let's move on. Yeah, And you got to move on. So, Nick. Yes. All right. Good seeing you. Good seeing you. And let's Thank keep you. in touch. Thanks. Talk soon. All right. Take care. Bye, everyone. All right, Nick. Thank you.